Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Welcome back to another episode of the Lead Today show. I'm excited to join you today because I don't have a live guest, but what I was thinking about is I've been reading this really powerful book and I thought if I'm not going to share about a live guest, I can still share about someone's work that I think is brilliant and unfortunately um, this person is no longer alive so I there was no chance to have an interview with him but the good news is we can chat about his book. I think that books have such a powerful way whether you're talking about fiction or non-fiction they have such a first of all in writing my book that's almost complete this has been years of distilling this content and I've heard both ends of the spectrum some people write a book in a couple days in a couple hours other people you know put their line in the sand and they really want perfection and I've seen you know the evolution of my book and so when I think of people putting out a finished copy into the world it's there's so much thought behind it Um, and so I love reading and I I have for a very long time. I started when I was like four. I would always, I had actually set up a library system as a kid in my, (laughs) in my room. I would categorize all my books. I was a super nerd. So this is sort of near and dear to my heart. I don't necessarily want to do a book report, but I'd like to just discuss a bit of my thoughts and sort of some poignant sections that I think you might find useful in this landscape or the time that we're in at the moment. Um, So the book is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl and he was a clinical psychologist born in Vienna in Austria and he earned an MD and a PhD from the University of Vienna. He's published more than 30 books on theoretical and clinical psychology and served as a visiting professor and lecturer at Harvard, Stanford and elsewhere. Frankel died in 1997 and what's interesting is that this book the first part is autobiographical so it's about his life and a very particular experience or series of experiences when he lived in Nazi death camps from 1942 to 1945. He labored in four different camps including Auschwitz Um, and so he's really shared some very troubling honestly or kind of awakening they woke me up for sure and reading them just honestly horrible I I don't know what other word to share how to say it but um, I think in that what he means to say is that although in life we can't avoid suffering we can choose what it means and that's why you know men search for meaning is this idea that we all search for this bigger meaning and purpose in our lives and uh, none of us get out of it without some level of suffering, but it's this choice that we make in the meaning. And of course, it's decently convincing uh, considering what he went through, the fact that he could find meaning and purpose in a way to overcome such a challenging situation and environment of segregation, discrimination, torture. Um, It's 
even though it was in 1942 and it's many years later reading some of these sections it was as though I was watching or even it felt like I was watching it in a movie and it was so painful to consider the amount of separation from their own families all of their all of their you know worldly possessions but also well I'll read you a couple parts and if you're interested of course you can go and and get it there are a bunch of versions this is a newer one Um, and then part two of the book so part one is autobiographical about his experiences in Auschwitz and other camps between 1942 and 1945 and then part two is about his theory that he came up with um and essentially, so it's called logotherapy, and it's his therapeutic doctrine, essentially. So from what he learned, he came up with his own theory. And so that's what they talk about in part two, and it has to do with existential frustration and the meaning of life. And I would say it's sort of, I don't want to say clinical. He references back to his times in the camps in part two. But I suppose he tries to put a meaning towards suffering and give get a bit, give a bit of a psychological, more professional, professional take on his own experience and the theory that is related and the meaning of life and it's um I'm just kind of flipping through these pages every time I kind of any page I look to there's something painful on which is just on it which is an interesting thing but anyway I guess if you're sitting there going how is this relevant to to you and what you're going through um as I said I think there's any level of suffering depending on what you're going through and it might not be comparable to what Frankel went through in his experience but I think this part it's on page 44 um, I think this part explains it well so he writes to draw an analogy a man's suffering is similar to the behavior of gas if a certain quantity of gas is pumped into an empty chamber it will fill the chamber completely and evenly no matter how big the chamber Thus, suffering completely fills the human soul and conscious mind, no matter whether the suffering is great or little. Therefore, the size of human suffering is absolutely relative. It also follows that a very trifling thing can cause the greatest of joys. And he continues with a story from from Auschwitz. But I think that's interesting, right? Because it's true. We can find joy in the small things and something seemingly small to someone can completely change our lives. And it's all... Again, back to the meaning that we assign to an experience. And if we look at um, some psychologists that are more modern, so the holistic psychologist that's on Instagram, like she talks about this in the context of trauma. So the the idea that trauma really is only traumatic if our body and our mind, depending on what meaning our body and mind assign to it. So um, in my study of biocompass and germanic new medicine there's interesting sort of theory that for something to be a traumatic moment or to cause let's say a triggering moment 
It needs to be unexpected, dramatic, isolating, or for you to have no strategy on how to deal with it um, or perceive, you know, you perceive that you have no strategy. So if it's any one of those four things, it can be traumatizing. And again, we do get to choose the meaning we have for it and our nervous systems are affected. So, you know, if you get into a car accident, it's unexpected. Of course, that can be traumatizing. It's not that you decided to be traumatized, right? It's like on a very physical level, your body is... I mean, your body is reasonably, I guess, shaken from that event. So, you know, there are different levels of trauma, but just that that part, reading that part to say that suffering can take over our minds and our spirits. And I think that the size of the suffering is inconsequent or is less is less important than um I suppose our ability to handle it and our ability to to take it on and overcome it because suffering in and of itself we can take something very small and suffer or we can have a very big challenging experience and find more power and meaning from it and move from it in a powerful way there's another part here that I, I mean I wish I could just read you the whole book but I suppose that'd be more like an audiobook and less like me Less like me doing a podcast. Here's another part that I think is really powerful when it comes to our ability to overcome. So here he's in the midst of talking about his experience of showing up at this camp. The first night in Auschwitz, we slept in beds which were constructed in tiers. On each tier, slept nine men directly on the boards. Two blankets were shared by each nine men. We could, of course, lie only on our sides, crowded and huddled against each other, which had some advantages because of the bitter cold. Though it was forbidden to take shoes up to the bunks, some people did use them secretly as pillows in spite of the fact that they were caked with mud. Otherwise, one's head had to rest on the crook of an almost dislocated arm. And yet sleep came and brought oblivion and relief from pain for a few hours. I'd like to mention a few similar surprises on how much we could endure. We were unable to clean our teeth, and yet in spite of that and a severe vitamin deficiency, we had healthier gums than ever before. We had to wear the same shirts for half a year until they had lost all appearance of being shirts. For days we were unable to wash, even partially because of frozen water pipes, and yet the sores and abrasions on hands which were dirty from work in the soil did not separate, that is, unless there was frostbite. Or, for instance, a light sleeper who used to be disturbed by the slightest noise in the next room now found himself lying pressed against a comrade who snored loudly a few inches from his ear, and yet slept quite soundly through the noise. If someone now asked of us the truth of Dostoevsky's statement that flatly defines man as a being who can get used to anything, we would reply, yes, a man can get used to anything, but do not ask us how. But our psychological investigations have not taken us that far yet. Neither had we prisoners reached that point. We are still in the first phase of our psychological reactions. So he goes on to talk about how they were, they pretty much all thought of suicide as being an option at one point or another. Um, the first phase, they were very curious also. There's another good section. I mean, there's there's just so much, but... I think so 
from that section, what I take from it at least, is that a man can get used to anything, but don't ask us how. And so it's, they're in these terrible conditions, right? And they're segregated. They are, I mean, they're starved. They have to work for free. They're in terrible conditions. They have people regularly being taken away and, and just burned, right? If they're deemed unfit to work or no longer useful. And yet they're saying, hey, we're in these brutal conditions. And yet, you know, I used to be a light sleeper, but now I can sleep through anything. I used to, you know, want a comfy bed. Now I sleep on my boots with nine other men and no blankets and I can take it. And I, I think it's, again, reinforcing the notion that humans are so resilient and put in the most challenging of places we can absolutely survive. But something that I think is interesting in this book is there's a difference between who survived and who didn't that Frankel notes that I'm not sure he initially maybe sought out to, well, maybe he did, but to me it wasn't the, I didn't initially think that this was going to be his finding as a clinical psychologist. Most clinicians are less on the spiritual side of things, but I think what I took from this book is actually that really spirituality is what helped people endure such trying times because they had hope and faith in something more. And the foreword of this book, which was written by Rabbi Kushner, um, I think encapsulates this idea well that yes, man can be put through, well, people can be put through anything or many horrific things and they will still come out the other side but people that come out the other side and flourish or are able to regain what they once had and build even further, those people it seems to be need to see and find meaning and find purpose in life regardless of their circumstances or maybe even in spite of them. And so the last sentence of the original version of this book, the rabbi points to in the foreword and says... This is Frankel's words, just to be clear. We have come to know man as he really is. After all, man is that being who invented the gas chambers of Auschwitz. However, he's also that being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Yisrael on his lips. Another interesting thought. So, okay, humans can endure all kinds of tragedy and pain and then we're saying that man is capable of atrocities right man is the being is that being who invented the gas chambers of auschwitz so you know man is clearly capable of inflicting pain misery suffering on a fellow human but at the same time when we're in dire straits like that we do look to the Lord or we look to God, we look to the universe as a means of finding peace, a means of finding a, a way to find, I mean, perhaps meaning, but I would, to me, it's peace, right? In the last moments of our lives, we're looking up and saying, you know, God, please, please bring me peace in this moment. And we see it in big moments in our lives, whether we're religious or not, there's sort of these rites of passage and Moments where we want to be in community, want to be seen by community and held in that 
ritual, whether again, whatever your religion or even non-spiritual affiliation, but we as humans congregate to these sort of peak moments. And I think it's interesting. Many people will shy away from spirituality because of perhaps religion, organized religions and what they think about institutions. But when we look at it on a deeper level, the question to me becomes, have you experienced, have you experienced, maybe not a miracle, but feeling like this humbling moment that you're smaller than, you know, everything in the world. It's like, you know, for me, it's watching a sunset or being at the ocean where I just get this sense of, I mean, looking at the night sky also, like when you just see all those stars and it's like, you're just this little blip, right? Or being in the Swiss mountains, um, or even a rolling countryside in Canada, you know, just so much land. It's completely vast and you're just this little person. I also feel that when I'm flying many times. So for me, in this search for meaning, remembering that I'm just this blip in the universe, in this, I mean, what's existing right now, but also the, you know, millions and perhaps billions of years that came before me. I'm such a small moment in time. This podcast is such a small moment in time. And as humans, we have the capacity for both goodness and and evil, and it's really a choice. And often when we, in our most challenging moments, I think we do look to God or spirit, you know, God, just get me out of this one, one situation. God, please just heal my sick, dying mother. We, we do look to God and we do look to faith when, for our most trying moments, when we're, when we're most scared, when we're most challenged. Uh, when we need hope and I think believing in something bigger than ourselves and bigger than our own ability to control our fate I think can be really useful and that's not to say that we can relegate responsibility to a higher power right it's not like oh okay so nothing I do matters and I'm just gonna put it to God yeah that's fine I don't need to care about anything no that's not the case the idea is that and I, I always love this this quotation like the wisdom to know the difference knowing the difference between what's in our control and what we need to give to you know the universe or just take put out of our minds knowing that we can't control all pieces of the puzzle and so I I, this book is fraught with references to in my opinion in my opinion God And I think that if you have interest in understanding the existential vacuum, which is this idea that we're sort of haunted, as as Frankel says it, haunted by the experience of their inner emptiness, a void within themselves. They're caught in that situation, which I have called the existential vacuum. So... It's a, this idea that we're sort of lost within ourselves and empty within ourselves. And I think that's, I mean, this is written a long, a decent amount of time ago. Uh, but I would say this is still sort of a, a problem. Um, he even mentions Sunday neurosis, which is 
this idea of when when you have nothing when you have nothing else to do on a Sunday right you're kind of like depressed with yourself when you're not just rushing around and being busy a lot of us I think rely on busyness to fill the void to make sure that we don't feel the pain and if we are feeling the pain then perhaps on the weekend we numb out so that whatever substance can take away that feeling that feeling of emptiness and I think that that's what we do in life we sort of it's actually funny this reminds me of a moment um there's an episode I did an interview with Tammy Peterson and I would highly recommend that episode if you want to look more into I suppose her work or her thoughts and also this idea of inner wisdom but she talks about how essentially in the womb we're very peaceful and then we're born screaming and we sort of fight with ourselves a little bit to find peace again until we until we die we're sort of in this constant negotiating with ourselves to feel peaceful and going back to the quotation I I shared about the end of the book where you know walking into their death in a gas chamber they're they're saying the Lord's prayer they're praying they're praying for peace so I mean I think what I learned from this book is that we can find meaning in life even when we're in a seemingly hopeless situation, even when we're in a situation where we f- we think or we know that we can't change the outcome. I think we can use that as fuel. And that doesn't mean that we need to be happy all the time. It doesn't mean that right after a tragedy or after some sort of failure or a loss, we just spring right back into action. I mean, that's definitely not it. But I think that if we can find meaning from things that don't necessarily go how we envisioned or shocking situations, if we can find something, if we can make, if we can create a meaning that's useful for us in moving forward, writing out the story in a way that helps us to process it, then I think that that's the best bet that we have. And it's interesting because Jordan Peterson's work, um, he has a whole course, I think, on essentially that, like writing out your life story in a coherent way so that you have a cohesive dialogue in your mind and that you can share, but that you are clear on about your life, about, you know, I did this, so then I did that and this occurred and so then that's what it meant to me and therefore I went and did such and such like whatever my you know my parents got divorced and so that led me to become very independent and be willing flexible to move around and then in my early 20s I was able to travel around because I was used to being on the go and I was very adaptable um you know and I grew up at my parents my father's business where then I was able to learn entrepreneurial skills so then I started a business of my own you know like really creating a cohesive dialogue about your life so that there's meaning to it because otherwise it's a series of unfortunate events that have no no cohesive dialogue I I mean the more I think of it that's probably why people write autobiographies (laughs) published or not I think it's why people want to see themselves immortalized in a sense because it makes 
their life have meaning whatever they sacrifice their time their energy time away from their family or perhaps even a dangerous profession at times it allows them to feel that there was meaning in it and maybe they get a statue in their honor you know just to immortalize them further which is obviously just a trinket i'm talking about a deeper meaning from perhaps even a soul level or in your heart but certainly most certainly in your mind where you feel that you have created a cohesive meaning for your life that all of the pain and suffering that your story up until today has brought you all that pain and suffering that you've had wasn't for nothing you didn't survive and move past those things to simply continue being the same right and so actually joseph campbell's work is also fascinating when it comes to this because his hero's journey effectively says that we need to go through trials and tribulations in order to come out the other side a new on a new day as this hero right i mean we start this lowly young person and we need to go through all of these trials and tribulations to become the hero and we can go through multiple heroes journeys and we can have many different mentors along our different journeys and once you conquer one thing of course you need to conquer another so that's life i suppose a never-ending unfolding of of journeys and of mastery or competency and the bedrock of that in our minds can be this dialogue or this story from you know i went from here to there to there to there when we can cohesively speak through that especially the most challenging moments of our lives this the pain and suffering that we would write in the part one of our book right if you were going to write a book like man search for meaning and the first part was autobiographical right what is your biggest suffering and again perhaps it's not on the level of frankel's or any of the any of the people in the nazi death camps but what is your most poignant point of suffering and what did it bring out of you? What What is your new day? And if you're in that suffering right now, knowing that it's for something, if you're in the biggest suffering of your life, knowing that it's bringing you to your new day means that it's worthwhile to keep going, right? Because if you decide that it's all over and you're going to die or you're going to fail, then, well, that's a 100% chance you're going to at some juncture, but if you can bring a sense of hope, if you can bring a sense of faith and meaning to the experience and say, this is going to make me better because this is meaningful because this is bringing me to the other side because and I'm going to stay alive for my wife, my husband, my parents, my kids, my friends, my significant other, my pet, whoever it is. But if you have a meaning, if you have a purpose, if you're alive for something my god does it make life better and it gives you more energy to do things and it makes it more it makes it about more than just you because if you feel alone if you feel isolated if you feel like no one cares and it's all about you well then that's a pretty damn miserable existence and not only that but it doesn't feel very meaningful because nobody's going to care if you're gone who's going to care right but if it's oh you know what there's meaning because of my not just a broad community i think it needs to be very specific right because if we speak in generalizations the motivation fades 
But if you're staying alive for your kid, for your parents, for your friends, for your sister, for your dog, for your job, I mean, some people find huge meaning in their jobs. So figure out the things that you're here for. Why are you here? Why are you getting out of bed? What is it that makes life worth living? What's the meaning behind it? I think if we can ask that, and there's another part of the book where Frankel speaks to curiosity and how curiosity is a natural reaction to an uncertain or weird scenario. So if you find yourself in an uncertain or fearful or new scenario where it's the unknown and you don't necessarily know what's going to happen, which let's face it, that's everyday life. We're in a bunch of uncertain scenarios every day. (laughs) Then if that's the case, I would offer up that perhaps the solution is to bring curiosity to the table and ask yourself why. Why are you doing it? Right? Why why are you in this situation? Why did you start the job you started? Why are you in the relationship you're in? I think asking why and becoming curious is a hugely beneficial and very simple question that you can ask yourself on repeat to get down to the root of the matter and the the true meaning of the situation that you're in. And again, this is self-derived meaning, right? So nobody, everything that Frankl says in part one is not factual. It's the meaning that he has given and his own recounting of his experience in Auschwitz and other Nazi death camps. It is not a factual account, but that's not what your life is. Your life is not a factual account of anything. Your life is your perceived experience. So, And remembering that, I hope that you can find some meaning and some answers to the whys of why you're here. Perhaps consolidate your story. And then go on to continue writing the next few years of your life in a very meaningful way. Because we all face adversity the past year or so in this landscape. We can can see it as... We can see it as death with no end and no beginning or we can see it as death to rebirth and so if things are changing for you right now if things are challenging for you right now if they're suffering right now as i say find meaning in it knowing that you are coming out of it with some new skills stronger wiser maybe gentler but you are coming out of the experience with something having gained some wisdom having gained something that you can utilize going forward with the hope and faith that it was for something. The suffering and the pain, the discomfort was not for nothing. It brought you and is bringing you to something new, your new day, a brighter horizon and a next step for you that's going to be filled with hopefully joy and and meaning. So I hope you found this useful and that it brings you closer to meaning. And if you want the book, you can purchase it pretty much anywhere it's a classic um and i i really want to thank you for listening if you want to support the show please do by clicking the the link below in the show notes every single every single person that has supported the show so far is what allows me to keep doing this ad free buying this wonderful road mic and being able to continue sharing content and information that i love so i hope you will support the show or just continue listening because that's a huge support too and I wish you an amazing rest of your day